0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 70 of Two Goalies One, Mike. I'm Johnny Cullen, joined alongside Dwayne Stenell as always. And we are pleased to be joined by longtime coming guest, Dom Lushishan. Hope I didn't butcher that too bad. Uh, Dom, how you doing today, buddy? Thanks for coming on.
2: Uh, not too bad. It's been a, a long time coming, as Dwayne has been in my DMs for, for months on end. Yeah, I've been sliding in those
1: DMs for a while. But, you know, the one time you canceled on me, uh, I think yeah, oh, I forget what it was, and then I had to cancel on you, so we're both to blame here. But long time coming, uh, special guest Dom, the second best Dom uh, in the room. Well, not in the room right now, but uh, currently the other Dom is on a walk, so what's uh, <laughs> that? But you know, uh, I appreciate you coming on with us, man. Um, again, long time coming. I really do appreciate your work. Uh, actually, uh, when I do a lot of my own writing, I kind of I kind of refer to a lot of your Your content uh, when I do my own stuff for Trainwreck Sports, uh, you amongst a few other uh, athletic writers. So I do I do appreciate the work you do and the time you put in, um, especially when it comes to this
0: time of year.
2: I appreciate that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, not a problem, Um, man. I want to start this right off. For those that don't know, Dom has been at the heart, if not like the founder of, of of. I know there was those that came before you of of joining analytics into, into the game of hockey. And and you always have the old school guys that will say, wow, you got to pass the eye test. Well, listen, my opinion is that, you know, if we can make the game better, if we can make the scouting better, if we can make the product better, then why not use every tool available to us? Uh, it, it's got to be frustrating, you know, or in the early years for you fighting that battle, and I'm sure you still get that. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the, the analytics side of hockey and and then, you know, part two of that question would be, um, about, you know, your new system is it, it's pronounced game star, game stat, game score. Wow. I fucked that up. (laughs) (laughs) No, just just how you got into it. And, and, and maybe some of the the humps along the way that you've had to, you know, the hurdles along the way you've had to, to pass by because, you know who I'm talking about. There are certain people out there that say, you know, analytics have no place in hockey. And I think that's such an arrogant, ignorant take um, because there is a point for it. And it's only going to make the game better.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure like what year exactly I started, but it came from a want to bet on hockey. And I figured I could use math to do that. And that's sort of where it all began. I started reading about, all the other people already doing stuff within the game. And I was learning from them and started doing my own thing. And it basically all just came from wanting to make money off of hockey and knowing that just picking things at random probably wasn't gonna work and math was the way to go. So I started building some models and that's where I came across uh game score, which I stole from basketball. <laughs> I think it was around it was around the time that LeBron James won his championship with Cleveland, and I was just obsessed with reading everything about it. And I stumbled on the stat for basketball. And I thought we should have something like this for hockey. So I created it and I've been tweaking it ever since. And here we are now, I guess.
1: So, so I'm – I'm sorry, Kelly. I just want to come. And I'll right, kind dude. of like I'm I'm of I'm a you know. I kind of came into analytics over the last two years really kind of diving into it and trying to understand it more because I, you know, just, you know, I'm a little bit older than you guys. You know, I, I came from an age where, you know, when I playing and watching hockey that were analytics, weren't as prevalent then obviously as it is today, if they were prevalent at all back then.
0: You're fucking three years older than me.
1: Yeah, but.
0: I (laughs) know. I'm just fucking with you. Continue. All
1: right. Well, I, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's 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 a grind like for somebody like me 2 years ago who doesn't really understand it i just want to tell our listeners who were like me 2 years ago analytics it it, it it like to just to understand it it's it's very difficult you know you know the the different uh metrics that are involved with it so to be like a guy like dom who really dives deep into it and finds out like and really brings out all the intricacies, if I'm um, for, you know, maybe it's a lack of a better word is the ability to do what you do on <laughs> a daily basis. And the grind you go through, especially throughout that, throughout, yeah, not just the hockey, it's just all year round. You know, I, again, I give you so much, so much like uh, so, so many kudos for doing that because, you know, sometimes like my first couple times trying to understand it, I was like, it was like looking at hieroglyphics it was like i have no clue what i'm looking at now i've gone from like you know ignorant to novice to you know slightly above novice right now but i'm i'm starting to get there but just you know just for those listeners who don't understand what this guy does he literally just every aspect of the game every metric he brings it out and he the way he the way he articulates it whether he's talking about it or he's writing about it Personally, again, he's one of my favorite writers to go back and, and refer to when it comes to this stuff. Uh, guy is unbelievable. So Dom, just just for our listeners who just don't really couple understand, clicks I don't for like, a
0: brain. couple clicks. Yeah, for
1: yeah. yeah I, again, I'm not. I'm not like I said. I'm not trying to pump your tires too much, no. Dom, but like it's it, it really is a difficult thing to just understand even as a novice. But to be to get to the level where you're at, it's just kudos to you, man.
2: I I appreciate that. I think that is my main goal because i didn't study stats or math in university i studied journalism and that's where i'm coming from where if your audience doesn't understand what you're talking about then what you're talking about doesn't matter so i try to make it as accessible as possible uh, and try to make it appealing to not just other analytics savvy people but also newcomers who may not understand and i try to be open and transparent about things and try to be available to people who do want to learn about this side of the game. And everyone started at the place where they didn't understand analytics and thought it was silly or fad. And it does take some time to get to the point of acceptance. And it doesn't help if they're learning that from someone who is condescending or arrogant about it and is a jerk when it's more helpful to have patience and understanding and try to just show them the utility of it. And I know I can sometimes come across that way, uh, dealing with thousands of people, sometimes some of them are jerks to you. So it's hard, but I try my best to give the same respect back that people give me and as long as people are respectful in their questions and it seems like they genuinely want to understand, then I try to do my best to guide them because I know not everyone understands numbers as well as some other people already do.
0: Well, and I think to piggyback off that um, one thing Dwayne said is that your ability to kind of, um, involve and and have analytics be a part of your, your your writing and your articles, and and I don't want to say layman's terms, but in a way that you know a non analytics expert can be able to break that down. Um, Sarah Sivian jokes about it all the time, right? And on how she mm-hmm. uses your charts and whatnot, uh, and I find that hilarious. A couple of clicks for Sarah, friend of the program. Mm-hmm. Um, hope to get her on one day. But um, going back to it. Um, if you could, for some of our older listeners or even the younger younger kids that listen to the show, um, how would you explain like uh, how, how Corsi works in, in a nutshell and, and then leading into what game score does? And I know basically Corsi basically tracks, correct me if I'm wrong, the amount of shots um, generated for versus against in your shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that goes into a whole bunch of different sub levels. Am mm-hmm. I on the right track?
2: Yeah. So basically, it's the same idea as plus minus, except we understand that goals are very infrequent events in hockey. So there's not that plus many minus, of them.
0: Sorry to cut you off. Plus minus is one of the worst stats in all hockey. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So the goal is to make it more useful because we do want to know how
0: useful.
2: Yeah. How players. Perform at five on five and plus minus gives you goals for goals against. And that isn't as helpful because there's just not that many of those events. And plus minus also adds a bunch of bullshit on top of that, like shorthanded empty goals netters. for empty netters, all that stuff. So Corsi is just five on five and it's all shot attempts. So rather than forty goals for 40 goals against in a year, you're looking at like five hundred to a thousand, maybe over a whole year. So it just increases things um, and looks at shots, shots missed and block shots whenever a player is on the ice. Um, There's ways to like transform that to make it more individualistic. So you can look at how a player does when he's on the ice versus on the bench. So if a team... Is
0: that where expected goals comes from when they talk about like the the trading or I'm sorry to get you off track.
2: uh, Expected goals is just another extension of Corsi so the main argument against it at the time was okay well that treats all shots as equal when we know that's not true so expected goals looks at the probability of a shot attempt going in and then assigns that value to the shot attempt and adds it all together
0: maybe I was thinking about what you know in the charts when you're looking at free agents um the adjusted goals like uh I'm not getting it right but like Um, the the goals that 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 individual player would account for, whether it's a minus or negative. Mm -hmm. Positive or negative. You know what I'm talking about? What's that called?
2: Uh war. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh yeah. I'm learning learning so so much right now.
0: (laughs) I'm learning. I I, I love it. No, I found that fascinating Mm -hmm. because when you're looking at free agents, you've done a ton of charts with um, you know, like um what's it runs above replacement or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, what the, what it stands for. um But I think that's fascinating that you guys have been able to, to use that, the, the mathematics and, and, and be able to, to deliver that stat. And, and we saw um uh the teams that integrated analytics early had success. One of the reasons Vegas had success right away, they had a great analytics department, right? Right from mm-hmm. the start. Mm -hmm. and and, and a couple teams were late to the party. And I'd like to think that every NHL team has an analytics department. Um, Some have more invested in others. And I think that shows Um, and I'm not going to name any names to piss anybody off, Uh, but you know, we're, we're in a market. That's very understaffed Dwayne, me and you talked about that. Right. And, and I think the Sabres could do more there. Um, But going back to, you know, your explanation, um, a little bit about game score and, and how that affects and how that translates to hockey. Is it pretty much using Corsi and, and Warren and that, or is there way more to it? Am I way off?
2: So there's a, a lot to unpack there, but I'll start with uh Buffalo actually making a, a very good hire Sam Ventura from uh the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, and he was part of the first group that made a war stat for hockey when he was with war on ice with uh, Alex Mandraki and uh, AC Thomas, and they made a war stat and that was sort of also what inspired game score as well. Cause one of my first models was making a projection based off of that. And once they, all three of them got hired by NHL teams, it's like, okay, well we had a war stat for one year now we're back to square one. And I made something that was sort of, Simple and it used Corsi at the time. It now uses expected goals, but basically the idea was to combine box score stats with those on ice stats. So, sort of bridge the gap between the normal stats like goals, assists, shots, block shots, face offs, penalties, and add Corsi and five on five goal differential and sort of blend it together to create a player value rating. And the idea was that this score would help decide which players were good in a specific game but if a player was good over a specific game and over a specific period of time then it's a good measure of how good that player was during a season so that sort of evolved into a war-like metric um and i know there's a few other people out there who do have their own war metrics and game score is similar in that vein it's not nearly as complex uh but it's the same general principle.
0: Well, I appreciate you breaking that down. Um, I do too. I know there's a ton of our listeners that don't fully understand it, but I, like Dwayne said, once I became a little bit more involved, it only helped me understand it more and more. Uh, one last question, then Dwayne, I'll give it all to you. Um, when I talk, when I teach my goalies, I talk about the Royal Road, right? Mm-hmm. That if you draw, and for the, our listeners, if you draw a line from the center of one net, all the way down the ice to the center of the other net. That's the Royal Road. And I think it was, um, maybe I want to say Mike McKenna, no. It was- Steve a-
2: what, What's that? Steven Vallecat?
0: Yep, Steven Vallecat came up with that awesome article that looked at it, and it was fascinating. I want to say it was something like 80% or some very high number of goals scored in the NHL in that given season within five seconds or three seconds had either crossed the Royal Road with a pass or or with a player skating by, and that to me was when it jumped out that said, "Hey, as a goalie, I can use this, mm-hmm. uh, and I can implement it not only in my game but into my teaching." And and he did a hell of a job with that. Um, is Royal Road involved in anything that you guys do analytically?
2: No, and that is one of the current flaws with expected goals is that there's no passing data, so you don't know what happens before a shot happens. You just know the location and the angle and you can infer whether it was off the rush or a rebound, but there's nothing about if there was a pass before the shot and where that pass came from. So that's one of the biggest issues with expected goals right now. And there's private models from teams because teams have access to that kind of data where there'll be differences and discrepancies from the public models. Uh, The way I combat that is I use goals. Ah, uh, because goals happened, and they give some signal as to the difference between an expected goal and ones that actually went in. And I think that can sort of bridge the gap between having that row road, road data and not having it.
1: You now, you know we mentioned earlier, you know this the hire with Sam Ventura, and obviously, it couldn't have come at a better time, you know, <laughs> Obviously, we know everything's going down here in Buffalo. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's an absolute disaster. Except in the wrist-aligning trade, great article done. Which, 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 yeah, that is funny. I mean, we we did an episode immediately after that. Well, we did a live stream episode right after that just because, like, we just wanted to laugh at Philadelphia for Mm -hmm. giving up what they gave up for wrist-aligning because you – I mean, I don't need to be an analytics guru to know that, like, his analytics are horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, everything about him says he's not worth a first, a second and a rostered player, even if their metrics are very similar. But, you know, Kevin Adams got a first, a second, uh, first in this year's draft, the second in next year's uh, and just, um, I think it was Robert Hag, who, I mean, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, from the looks of it, I think he might even be a better, more of a defensive defenseman than Bristol-Lyne was because, you know, in his own end, You know, even just using the eye test, you can just see that like one of his biggest issues for me was he would never just make the simple play. Mm -hmm. He always made it much harder on himself, and that Mm -hmm. was his biggest issue for me. Yeah, he can hit. Yeah, he you know he's tough in front of the net, but you know I don't know what a lot of those times where he was tough in front of the net, the puck was already in the back of our net. Yeah, like you can be as tough all as you want. You know, when the puck's already in the back of the net, nobody cares. They score. They put they put a point up on the board. Um, but, you know, you, had, you, had, you got that deal done, which was phenomenal. Obviously, you know, the return for Sam Reinhardt wasn't as sexy as you hoped it would be. Uh, from what I've gathered from talking to a lot of people, I guess, you know, he was more valued as a winger than he was a center, even though he played most of the last season and had potentially, in my opinion, his best season as a saver playing most of it at center. Um, you know, the right-handed defenseman was much more valued this year at, uh, you know, than you know, a scoring winger. Uh, but even before that, um, bringing in a guy like Sam Ventura before this draft was so clutch and so key. And you saw some massive differences in the way they drafted this year. Uh, you know, they, they kind of went off the board and took an Isaac Rosine at with the 14th overall pick, technically 13. You know, with Arizona's forfeited pick. And then they really went hard uh, at the Russians. You know, Prokar Polatov, I'm sorry if I'm butchering these names. Uh, Alexander Chris uh, Kisikov, uh, and then Steven Sardinian. I'm just going to call him the Sardine. Uh, three Russians in a row. And, you know, that's not, we have not, we haven't drafted a Russian since 2016. Um, and, and you know, <laughs> judging from the, again, the people I've talked to, Sam Ventura had a lot to do with that. Um, how clutch was it to bring a guy like him? Uh, I know you spoke on him before, but clutch like him to bring in, in such, uh, an important draft, being drafting first overall and having the amount of picks we had in this draft.
2: I think it's huge. I wrote an article with uh, John Vogel last week about how Buffalo continues to fuck up the draft. Um, I know (laughs) some people have suggested it's development more than drafting. Whatever it is, it's the reason they're still here a decade later at the bottom of the league. They have had so much value in terms of draft picks and they've completely squandered it or else Mm -hmm. they would be... A playoff team by now that's just how it works that's how it's worked for so many other teams and for them it's just the difference between them and a contending team is that they do not hit on their draft picks um and having a guy like sam ventura helps a lot because he has a sharp mind he is probably one of the sharpest minds in hockey just based on what he showed in the public sphere and i don't know how much buffalo was listening to their analytics staff before but If they're bringing him in, I'm sure his voice will be heard and it'll be a priority. And I think he was a big reason why Pittsburgh had so much success over the past five years when everyone thought they were always going to decline. This is the year they want to make the playoffs, all that other stuff. And they kept finding ways. And I think he was probably a a big part of that. And I don't doubt that the minute he stepped into – the Buffalo office. He's like, get rid right, of Ristolainen. Just
0: yeah, he had you had yeah, to imagine. Yeah, yeah I I love the first line of um your article. It's uh, finally a win for Buffalo, a massive win for Buffalo. The common thread throughout the Saber struggles to get out of the basement over the last decade has been Ristolainen. The difference between every player's numbers with him on the ice and on the bench is absolutely staggering, and that's perfectly encapsulated by the team's franchise player, Jack Eichel who's also on his way out. Over the last three seasons, Eichel has spent nearly 1,000 minutes with Ristolainen, and in that time has a 46% goal rate. It's 55 without him.
2: <laughs> by expected
0: yep. goals, RAPM, a regression version of expected goals that takes into account teammates and competition, is affected. is is in the 22nd worst among all defenders and the third worst by goals. On a consistently bad Sabres team, Ristolainen has always been the anchor dragging everyone down. Oh my god. Well yeah. written, Dom. Well written. But like if if you could take that Ristolainen, and in and, and a lack of our success in your nutshell, it's that fucking paragraph. Well written. Well done. Every Sabres fan should read that article.
1: I gotta see if I can find a picture of it. Uh a buddy of mine sent MEC. Yeah, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna upload this in a second. I'll read it out, but uh right after he got traded, somebody posted this tweet. Uh he goes, Never forget when I saw a Rasis Crystal lining in rec room downtown and said, Go Sabers, and he replied, We suck, go Bills. Best of luck, bud. Oh
2: shit. <laughs> that
0: is special thing. Looking yeah. like Ivan Drago, go save. No, we suck. <laughs> we suck. Bill, Bill's Mafia.
2: That actually is kind of funny. I respect Ristalin for that. That's that's <laughs> self-awareness. Um I tweeted knowing
1: I, that you're part of the problem.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I tweet a lot about wristline, and obviously after he got traded, and I have people saying that something about the eye test or some other shit, and I've watched him play, and this has been going back a while. I remember at the World Cup, like he was this highly touted you, you prospect. Made the
0: World Cup Are you talking about the World Juniors?
2: No, the World Cup. Uh, the World Cup. He was on the Finnish team. Wow. Oh! Yeah, and I remember I was there live for a few games, and he looked like shit. I'm like, what? What are you guys talking about with this? Like, he's big, obviously, but like, God, yeah, he has no idea what's going on out there, and that lowest is lowest
1: IQ player on the ice at all times.
2: Lowest. Like, he does—he's not a smart player at all, and that is something that feels very noticeable when you watch him. And the analysts confirm it, but you get still get people saying he looks great out there, and that's how you get him going for a first and a second. And I, I still just don't. I don't understand, understand
1: it. it. I get, I get the value of a right-handed defenseman. I understand it because mm-hmm. um, they always say that sometimes it's easier to get. Uh, what is it? A right-handed defenseman or uh, a left-handed? Sometimes you're able to get. I man, if I'm wording this incorrectly, uh, you can get a, a left-handed defenseman sometimes to play the right side more easily than the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Dalene. I think yeah, Dalene did that before he uh, made the jump to the NHL. But again, man, like even if the value is there at, 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 for a right-handed defenseman, like what do you – like I can't tell you the number of times where he had the easy play up the boards. Keep it – like coaching – you know, co- calling you know, this is coaching our lives, the, the acronym, KISS, keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. And he just does, does the opposite every single time. Like I'm going to carry the puck up and try and split these two players rather than just go up the boards to my winger. He just he consistently would never, ever make the simple play. And that's one of the things I love most about Owen Power's game, is he didn't put himself in those uh you know pressure situations where he backed himself into a corner uh the, the, the past year and previous that was Chicago Steel. He trusted in his forwards to carry the puck out if he couldn't, and he wasn't afraid to go high and up the boards if he felt like he was under pressure. And hey, that's it
0: something I was blasting out. And I know we're not yeah. trying to push away possession, it's, but wrist aligning consistently to your point, Dwayne. Forced pucks through the middle of the yeah. ice and um, led to turnovers. Listen, if you're going to turn the puck over, turn it over in their end or at the far blue. Don't turn it over in the middle of your own end. And Ristolani consistently did that. And um, I know that you haven't seen every single Sabres game, but it's something that we've lived through. And and a lot of people, the the Ristolani defenders, which are very few, they said, well, the man plays with jam. Listen, you can play with jam. Cal McCart plays with jam, right? Owen Power plays with jam. You can play with Jam without having, like, uh, the the IQ of, of a Cully or a Dwayne. I hate to say it, but, um, you know, it's just a well-written article about that. I, I think every Sabres fan should check it out. Um, Sabres grade A+, Flyers grade F-. Um, let me ask you this on, on, the, on, like, the flip side of it. What is Brian Burke and is it Chuck Fletcher?
2: No. Uh, Ron Hextall.
0: Ron Hextall. What are they thinking?
2: He's big, he's got jam, and they probably think that Does playing he- with Travis what? Sanheim on a second pair and not getting tough minutes, he'll be better. And he probably will be. He probably won't be as bad as he was on the Sabres, but the enormous gap between his results and his usage, like it just doesn't cover it. He's not going to be suddenly good on the second pair unless he takes a massive leap. And maybe he also needed a change of scenery. He's been in Buffalo on this bad team. And although part of the reason they're bad has been because of him, I'm sure it's still weight on him. And there is a chance he can be what the flyers need. If the fit is right. Uh, I think Burke has generally been good at finding quality players, but Wrestalainen seems like a poor man's Dion Phaneuf, and that's not a good thing for Philadelphia.
0: <laughs> now, hey, I I think that, um, and you mentioned right, get them getting Ryan Ellis. I I play with Ellie. He's and I play with him and Petro. Dwayne, shut up! Don't even mention it. Uh, he says <laughs> What's a year away. So, Ryan Ellis was the best defenseman I've ever played with. Not just because he scored fifty goals in the OHL, last player mm-hmm. to do it, kind of big deal not just because um, he was able to defend and play below the dots for being a little guy, but just his IQ, his ability to knock down pucks at the blue line, chips past him, but he was always in the right spot, and, and I'm happy to see the Flyers get him. Maybe maybe that insulates them a little bit from this Risto trade. Yeah. yeah, But for I do sure. agree with you that a big deal you know, Risto definitely you know, needed a change of scenery. Is that going to turn him into a different player? No. Um, I'm happy to get him off the books. And here's the interesting thing. I just uh finished watching Owen Power on the instigators, and he's backed off his comment a little bit about going back to school next year. And, and I think maybe tell me if I'm wrong. Does having so. that right hand, you know, first pair of spot open up um have anything to do with that, guys? You tell me. By the way, I wore the wrong shirt. This was supposed to be worn last episode with Owen Power. <laughs>
1: Before you answer Dom, I'm just gonna make an I disagree with him coming making the jump this year. No, I just
0: I, I never said he I, should. I, I, I know, I know,
1: know, I know. I'm just I'm not saying this say it. It's it'd be so much better for him and his development to just go win a national championship. Yeah. You know what I mean? Go win a national championship, man. Go, you
0: know, you you went to Michigan, you went to what
2: Michigan
1: University. Kent,
0: what if Kent and and uh Kent Johnson and Maddie Beneers stick? You, what, mean, what, what do you mean what do you
1: I mean Beneers has made mention that he plans on going back.
0: Yeah, I'm just saying my question was if Beneers and Ken Johnson stick in the league, I have, I think that you're 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 it's gonna be a lot tougher to win the national title when you take away two of the top two of the top forwards in college hockey.
1: Yeah, I mean you still have Luke Hughes who hasn't played a single game for Michigan yet either. He was a thought.
0: Fair point. He hasn't played a single game for Michigan yet. I
1: just, I just think, I just think, in terms of all four of those players' development, I understand it's a sexy option to go right into the NHL, sign your entry-level deal, and be put in a situation, you know, where you're living out your dream immediately. But you know that, you know, you know, barring injury, some catastrophic injury, you know, knock on wood, you know, they're, you know, stay in school, you know, finally go, 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 be a a kid for one more year before you have to grow up real fast, go, go to Michigan University, go to Yoast. Have an unbelievable time, get the experience of that crowd and that atmosphere, and then really challenge—at least play in the Frozen Four tournament and know what that's like and know what that pressure is like. I think that does a lot. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. Oh, that's what I'm saying. You know, know the pressures of having to get there, and you know that 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 glass, that brass ring, was dangled in front of them this past season. It was taken away because of COVID. You know, those kids are hungry. They want to go win a national championship. You know, Power has made that known. Like he wants an opportunity to do that and just to have the college experience. And I don't blame him. He's still a kid. He's 19 years old.
0: Um, yeah, uh, I wanted to tra- I wanted to transfer your to a topic, Don. Did you have anything else on that?
2: Uh, no, I think you guys covered it well. I I don't know too much about prospects. I don't follow it at all. I'm not going to pretend like I do. But after this year I was ravaged by COVID, I feel like every prospect should just go back and get a one year mm-hmm. of normalcy. Agreed,
0: yeah, and 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 Dwayne, Dwayne, you hit the nail on the head, and we talked about it more in the own power episode. One of the other articles that you wrote, and I love it because me and Dwayne talked about this all the time. We are big offer sheet guys, we <laughs> want to see
1: the uh, I love I want to
0: sheet.
2: Mm-hmm. I why is,
1: is why is so many GMs against that? Like, who cares? I, it's, it should be some what? unwritten code. This is a business at the end of the day, and the business is making your team the best possible team to succeed as possible
0: i partly that question to you um, i've always thought that there's a good old boys club in the sense that they all go down in in and, and, and for the gm meetings they all work together on trades a lot of them have past histories or have worked together before is it a respect thing um because you know we've seen a couple teams do it and i think those two gms just don't give a fuck but like are we going to see one uh before i get into your article what is your thinking behind why these GMs don't offer you players? Is there an understandard agreement that you're not going to offer shoot a guy if you ever hope to make a trade with that GM again?
2: There, It does feel that way. Uh, I don't know the exact machinations of how they're thinking, but it does feel like they don't want to get burned themselves. And it's probably also a collusion thing where they don't want to blow – up the rfa structure for everyone else where these are guys who are always underpaid and you get their prime years for a bargain and if you blow that up for one player it might snowball and take out that market inefficiency for everyone um but i i don't know how you see Braden point as an rfa a couple of years ago and not give him know. 10 million dollars because he would have been worth it it's the same 100%. with Elias Petterson this year. You don't even have to give up four picks to probably make life hard for Vancouver because they right now are looking at doing a bridge deal for Pettersson and Hughes because they don't have cap space what, to make what it would work.
0: That bridge deal, put them at. Well, what, what, what would the price they'd need to pay?
2: I think it's something they're looking at something around like seven million, something around the brain point contract. And, and if you, I have it right that, in
0: front of me. So seven million puts you at. One first, one second, one third. What, that's it?
2: Yeah, and...
0: Fucking sign me up in a heartbeat. Give me I a mean, heart. that's, oh. that's what
2: Vancouver is looking at, right? So for that probably one. won't be enough to pry him out of Vancouver. They'll be like, thank you for this gift, sort of like the Sebastian Ajo offer sheet. But if you put some pressure on them and go to $10 million just under the four first-round pick compensation, they'll probably have a chance to actually get the player. And if you're a decent team a two first, a second, and a third won't be as much value as Elias Pedersen will provide. You're probably not going to get a Pedersen with those picks.
0: Yeah, man, that's – listen, I get why the draft is so important, but I think, uh, like, way too many fans overvalue draft picks. Yeah. To hear these people call into the radio and to even hear certain certain radio hosts, and I'm not going to name names uh, because I like a few of them, certain people – outside even in the game overvalued draft picks like you know dom cuz you deal in analytics you've you've done you've seen the chart where it's like outside of the top 3 picks the the percentage that that guy is going to play 100 or even 500 games is so low it mm-hmm. gets so much lower as we go Dwayne, maybe we can post that at some point yeah um cuz it's a re- it i and i opened it it, 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 it was an eye opener for me um because, you know, like, look at all, like, uh, I'm not even going to go any further with that. It's a fascinating chart. Dom, you know what I'm referring to?
2: Yeah, yeah. And I've done my own chart that is based on game score that looks at the actual value of each pick in a way where you can sort of translate that to player value. Uh, and
0: where can I, our fans find that?
2: Uh, If you just Google draft pick value and then my name, it'll probably come up, but it'll show the value of each pick, and that is over a player's first seven years, so then you can compare it to a player like Pedersen, who's worth three wins per year. Over seven years, that's 21 wins, and in order to get that value from a first, a first, a second, a third, you have to be one of the worst teams in the league every single year while those picks are active. And it just – it's unlikely with Pedersen on your team. And, obviously, if you're a team like Buffalo, it's uh, a hard sell because to Pedersen. Because
0: picks are going to be lottery. Yeah. Yeah. These, now, let me let me make this clear. These aren't lottery-protected picks if you were mm-hmm. to offer a guy. Yeah, yeah you
1: you're, you're giving up the picks. That's why, you know, I, th- I think Buffalo would steer – I mean I, I love the idea of Elias Pettersson in Buffalo because I think, you know, not that I'm trying to fast track this rebuild, but like he's just a very dynamic elite.
0: No, but scorer to and, point.
1: No, no, I understand what you're saying, but like again, you know, with those pe- picks obviously not being lottery protected, you have you, you, you could be looking at Buffalo probably finishing near the bottom of the league at least next season. And you're giving up a chance at drafting in, in, a, in a draft where you know potentially I think is it Shane Wright next year?
2: Yeah, yeah. right.
1: Yeah, you know you're looking at a, a Shane Wright where you know that could be a franchise-changing type of player. And you know I hate I hate playing the what ifs game. You know what? Well, what if you do this and you lose out? You you your pick ends up being a lottery winner. You know, but at the same time, I think a guy We're like Shane getting
0: Wright, getting elite player. Yeah, yeah, sense. yeah.
1: But you're still also, also getting an elite player in Elias
0: Pedersen. That's my point. Now I wanted to play a fun game, okay? So you, uh, you, and James Myrtle listed. I think it's eight or is it ten? Eight. Okay, so I'm gonna ten. I'm gonna the list. car got signed. Uh, I'm gonna list off the players, and uh, we're gonna go through and say the best fit for the Sabres. First one we talked about Elias Pettersson. Right now he's ten million over five years. You talked about him signing a bridge deal because of Vancouver's cap space at around seven. Okay, and then I'll get his big deal. Up next, we have Adam Pellick, uh, who was an absolute horse for the Islanders. Um, you know, for those that didn't watch, you know, I thought he was in the top five defenders in, in, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And and you're, and you're looking at two of them were on the Montreal Canadiens, right, with with Petrie and Weber. Um, he's an undervalued player that I thought showed what he could do this year. Um, not only not only does he have that jam, he's fucking nasty. He's, he's this generation Scott Stevens. We don't see – the game has changed, right? You see a lot of the, the top defenders being the kelmicars Cars, the Luke Hughes, a lot of guys with offensive upside. And I'm not saying Adam Pelick doesn't have that. But, fuck, man, this guy's a nasty player to play against. And that's what I think – I like, I, I, as head coach, I love that on the team. So we have Adam Pelick as number two, okay? And right now he's on a – 6.15, does that put them in the same range as Pedersen, a first, a second, and a third? Uh, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. A 6.15 would put them in the class below.
2: Right, right, right. I did – a lot of the things we designed the price to fit under certain thresholds. So if the threshold was 6.15, we put it exactly at that threshold.
0: Okay, so so far we got Pellick, we got um, Pedersen. Next up, we have Andrei Svechnikov. He's at $8 million, uh, over six years. Um, next up, we have Alex Barboulet. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I've never heard of him.
2: He's uh, So basically, Myrtle's idea was there's a few of these young guys on Tampa Bay where the idea is to give them – like modest pay raises where the compensation is literally nothing. And if they match, you just go down the lines you go Barbule. Then you go to Ross Colton. And then I think they have a third guy. You just keep hitting Tampa Bay, uh, until you get one of these guys.
0: I like that. And then, you know, Yanni Gordon, Barkley Goodrow already gone. Yeah. And then you got David Svart and wow, that's fascinating. I like that idea. Um, really, really well done. Um, that next up, Kevin Fiala from the Minnesota Wild. He's at six point one five times five years. Um, and he's been, you know, great with Minnesota. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't know if he can sustain that success. Um, hopefully he does. Um, he's obviously got great numbers, uh, analytics. Um, what is this? Fiala has a seventy point upside in a bigger role. Can you explain that?
2: Well, he only plays around 16, 17 minutes a night for Minnesota. So if he were to get first line minutes, you could reasonably expect that his point rate would increase and he can get to that 70 point area, maybe even 80 points. We saw a couple of years ago, as soon as he came to Minnesota, he had a bit of a slow start, but then second half of the season, he caught fire and he was one of the best players in the league for a short stretch. So he has that talent level where if he can just stay consistent, he can be one of the best goal scorers in the league. So he wasn't
0: playing with Kaprizov regularly. No, right? No. Okay, makes sense. This is my most interesting pick, number six, Ilya Sorokin, the goaltender for the Islanders. Four point one over three years. Me and Dwayne, as goaltenders, have talked about the, you know, one of the biggest needs. If even if we do sign Allmark, um, let's just say we don't sign Allmark. Then this makes even more sense for me. Um, you know, he's a goaltender that he's proven that, you know, he can play at this league and he can be a, a one, a, if not a, you know, a one B, if not a one, a guy. Um, and I think, you know, you look at his numbers, 22 regular season games, nine eighteen save percentage, um, and a two six, a two seventy four goals against that the 16th. Uh, and that puts him right in the middle, but you know, that was on a, you know, a pretty good Washington team this year. I think they won the president's trophy, didn't they? Uh, they were close. They were close. They were up there t- until the very end. Um, next up, Igor Shosturkin is he the goaltender for the Rangers? Yeah. Yep. Shosturkin. So I mean, six and seven make a ton of sense um, for, for at least my opinion. Sorry. The last one, Connor Garland for the Vancouver Canucks, five point five over four years. Um, and so going going around, uh, maybe I'll start with you, Dom. Well, well, me and Dwayne think about it. What makes the, 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 the most sense for the Sabres here? If, let's just say, Omar doesn't sign, or if he signs a one-year deal, um, who, who would you go after if you were Kevin Adams?
2: I would go after whoever doesn't cost anything, and that would probably mean just do the Tampa route. I think the Sabres are way too far away from contention, especially if they're going to trade Jack Eichel, that this is just the start of a new rebuild, and I'd rather – Take some bets on guys like uh, Barry Boulet and Ross Colton for no compensation rather than give up a a second or a first and a third for.
0: What about Shisterkin? He'd only cost you a second round pick.
2: I mean, if you can get Shisterkin for a second round pick, then absolutely. I just think that he might be it might take a bit more to pry him out of uh, New York.
0: So the process goes: we offer sheet down; they have the chance to match that plus yeah. go up.
2: Uh, they no—that's the deal. So that's the deal that's signed, and they can either match or they can take the compensation.
0: Okay, so we would have to now. Let me let me ask you this: the the average annual average value in the compensation chart. Is that off of his current deal or is that off of the deal that we would offer him?
2: Uh, so on in the article, we put the deal that we would offer the player. Um, so I'm not sure. I don't remember what it was for Shisterkin, but for like Pedersen, for example, I think Shisterkin the offer was 4.1. 4.1? 4.1? Uh, yeah,
0: 4.1 over three years. No, that's yeah. Sorokin. Sorokin, yeah, sorry. Right.
2: My yeah. I think I think for Shisterkin, I went closer to 6.1. Six. Yeah, Yeah. which would be a first and a third, if I recall correctly.
0: But like Sorokin, for me at 4.1, that gives you, you're giving up a second round pick for a young Mm -hmm. guy that I know we have some guys in the pipeline that Dwayne likes, but hell, like he, Mm -hmm. he well, that's.
1: that's another thing, too, though, Cully. We just to get uh, Devin Levi, you do have Portillo at Michigan, who I, we both have a lot of hives for, and UPL. I'm all for Sorokin, you know, or, you know, Shister skin if if, if if the price is right and the compensation is right. But um, I think we just, I, for me, I would rather just develop, and I'm not disagreeing. I like that idea, but I would rather develop what we have right now and maybe find some stopgap guys to, to kind of fill those holes in. Until you know you have your pieces in place, and then what you already do have is ready to make the jump to the HL because Devin Levi really impressed the world junior tournament. He, uh, you know, there's a lot of high hopes around him. Um, you know, Eric Portillo, we've had him on the show, I have a lot of high hopes for him, and there's always going to be some hype around uh, Uka pekka Luka, And Um, I don't hate the idea. I, you know, if you know, if they if they said tomorrow that they offer, she uh, Ilya Sorokin or Igor Shastirskin, I'm on board 100%. But...
0: I, I think if- Scherkin is, is is like Dom said. I think he's too expensive because of they're not a lot of protected picks, and you're giving up a first. I like the idea of Sorokin just because at at your projection of four point one Dom, I'm willing to give up a second. Right, and mm-hmm. um, you're right, Dwayne Devon Devon Levi. Coming I mean, in helps, but he's also he's going to be a, a sophomore, or he's going to be a, yeah, he's going to be a sophomore. It would have been
1: a, it, 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 this would have been his freshman year had it not been for COVID. Um, but right, I uh, so, I think it's yeah. at Northwestern, maybe I can't remember what college. Like,
0: let's just say he plays out at least his his junior year, maybe gets his senior what would be a senior year, right? He's yep. then got a year in the AHL, right? Like, so he's far away. Like, uh, I I I no. think so. Yeah, that, that would be my only I'm idea. not disagreeing
1: with it, but I like Dom's idea of going the Tampa Bay route too, though. Like I, those guys sound like you're not giving up anything and they're a low risk, high reward, right, Dom?
2: Yeah. If yeah. you imagine on a that's team like the this, yeah, mm-hmm. low risk, high reward. Cause you I can, I love Ross Colton too. Yeah. On Buffalo, you can give them top six minutes, see what they do. And you either got something or you wasted money, not pick. So I think that's the route I would go. Uh, I do like Sorokin. I think he has potential, but I think, Worst case, he is really good, but not elite. And Buffalo lowers its chances of getting the number one pick next year. And I think ideally when Buffalo is ready, that's when you look at an offer sheet for a goalie rather than right now when they're nowhere close.
1: Are we talking tank? Is that what you're talking? Are we talking tank 2.0? Uh, yes. (laughs) The tank is back with a vengeance. Uh, uh, my god, man, and we didn't even lose it the first time. Yeah, we didn't get McDavid, but you got a phenomenal player with an Eichel, and unfortunately, you know, only this franchise could find a way to screw that up. And you know, uh, I'll say this you know, last question or two here, and then we'll, you know, we'll end the episode. But I, uh, two things, um, you know, well, this is not really much of a question, more just want your thought on it is, um, you know. At this season's end, obviously you had the Eichel just dealing with nagging injuries from last season. Obviously the the neck injury, the ankle injury, the cracked ribs to start of the season. That guy could not just catch a break. You know, you know, dealing with his injuries from last season, then what happened in training camp, and then throughout the season. Um, it, you know, I guess it's just like against the thought is it really sucked because, unlike some Sabres fans, I was actually optimistic when the season ended because you think you finally found your coach in Granado, who really gets the best out of players. You know, most evidence pointing towards guys like Casey Middlestad and Rasmus Darlene who finally came out of their shell. You know, I felt like they were neutered under the system that Kruger was trying to implement,
2: mm-hmm.
1: especially Darlene. And then you, you know, you had Sam, it was, Granado was the only coach who put him at the position. He was drafted at the play center and he excelled. He, yep. he played very well at center. And at this season's end, I'm looking at the big picture and I'm seeing one of the biggest obstacles any team has when building a team and trying to sustain success is having that depth down the middle. It's mm-hmm. hard to find. And I'm looking at this. I'm like, well, finally you have a coach who's willing to keep Sam Ryder at center. You have Jack Eichel. You have Dylan Cousins. And you have Casey Middlestat. Not saying that like Casey's going to be your fourth-line center, but you have two guys who could interchange the third-line center. And I'm just like, Oh my God! Finally, like we finally figured it out. Like, and you know, I think I've always felt it's easier to find goals when you have great to elite centers with average at wingers. I think Sidney Crosby's proven that time and time again. Um, But you know, figuring that out and then exit interview day comes Mm -hmm. and the shit just hits the fan. The Sabres break these hockey Twitter, and it was just like, oh my God. We are officially the Cleveland Browns of hockey. This is so bad. Like it was, it was so infuriating because I, fi- I was so optimistic. I'm just like, they got the biggest thing figured out down in mm-hmm. the middle. They yeah. had it figured out, and then that day happened, and it was
0: just like, oh my god, not again. Welcome, Chris Hell.
2: Yeah, yeah, I feel bad for you guys.
0: <laughs> but well, uh, before you ask your last question, I gotta head out of here. Uh, Dom, tip of the cap, couple clicks. Thanks for all yeah. you do. Hope to have you back on. Um, Let you finish up the show, Dwayne, and I will see you guys. Thanks to all the fans for listening. Um, And look forward. We have two big-name guests coming up. Dwayne, I'll let you tease that. But thanks again, Dom.
2: Nice chatting with you.
1: I, I pre- I'll, t- I'll talk to you later, Cully. Now, uh, another thing, too, is um, it was just uh, tweeted out by Lance Lyasowski, who's kind of like one of our beat reporters here in Buffalo, that the Sabres are already extending their qualifying officer from RFAs. One of the, the biggest name in that grouping, which uh, they, we really haven't gotten much detail on, but, you know, there's some stuff to speculate on because of the McCarr deal. Um, and uh, before that, I think it was Heiskanen, Heiskinen mm-hmm. assigned his. Where do you see a guy like Rasmus Donnelly with the metrics he showed last year? I, I think more specifically, you should more focus on what he was doing under Granato rather than Ralph Kruger, who should have never been in a coach in the NHL to begin with uh, again. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Where do you see him slotting in at, you know, uh, do you see him bridge deal. Do you see them going long-term and what's your number if you were to make that
2: decision? I, I would bet on his talents and go long-term. I agree. Uh, I think it's a bit scary because of, him regressing a bit uh, to start the year. And I think last year wasn't a great year either, but what he showed under Granada was promising. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I just know he looked a lot better and it seemed like he was playing a lot better. So I would bet on that. And I don't think it will cost as much as high or McCarr. And, and no. I think there's a chance he can still get to that elite level where he'll be well worth that price.
1: Now, what price tag would you actually put him at? Do you think? Obviously, you're not looking at like a nine million dollar guy. Mm-hmm. You said which was what Makar got. I think it was over six years, nine million over six. Yeah. Um, you know, and I can't remember the exact uh, semantics of Heisken's, uh deal, but I was thinking, you know, if you can get a, I, I agree, bet on the player because you see the talent, you see how how great of a puck moving defenseman he is, how smart he is, how you know, he put you no. Know, and one of the things with Granado is he finally started to play with swagger again.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, he
1: seemed confident. You know, he came out of his shell. He wasn't afraid to make plays that you, you know, that he was making even in his rookie season or before that when he was playing in for Like he's, he's not afraid to, you know, take the, take those attributes that got him t- to this point and just ran with it. Mm-hmm. It was like finally letting, letting, letting the horse out of the barn. It's like, Hey, just run. And, uh, you know, that's what I felt like under Granado is you got those best offensive attributes out of Darlene. And I agree. I, I feel like, you know, if you offer the long-term deal now, you know, it's going to look like an even better down the road, mm-hmm. the price tag you get him at.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think Evolving Hockey has him at an average deal of $5.5 million over five or six years. And I think if you can get him at that for six years, I think you sign that. For sure. And if it takes going to six to get the seventh or eighth year, I think it's worth it. There's probably some risk if you get to seven or 8 million, but I don't think it'll, it would take that.
1: I think, I, I think if, if it came down, push came to shove it between six and a half to seven. I think he, you know, if you sign that guy at $7 million a year in three years, it'll be worth it. I just, yeah. you just see, he just, he's such a smart kid. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, he, one of the things too is i met i kind of met his family after he was drafted he comes from a really good family and you know he's got a good head on his shoulders he's not you know um you know one of the, some of the stories we used to hear downtown you know uh from you know seeing some of the guess, players downtown over the last couple of years is while some of the guys are at the bar doing their own thing you know Darlene's over drinking orange juice he's mm-hmm. you know he's very responsible he's not he's got a good head on his shoulders he knows why he's here he wants he wants to succeed he wants to win. Um, you know, he's just, you know, I, I like his demeanor and just the, the, the person he's developing into even off the ice. I think Mm -hmm. I see him being, I see him wearing a letter someday even.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, And before we let you go, obviously, uh, one of the biggest topics in the NHL right now is Jack Eichel. Um, there were a lot of speculation surrounding, you know, Minnesota for a good 48 hours. And everybody was throwing out, you know, their potential trade offers. Rumored Boldy, Rossi, you know, Greenway, Fiala was in there taking on Dumba's contract. And then the Rangers coming in with their comical offers. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, know you see it on Twitter. And uh, I, personally, I get it that, you know, Capo Caco is a good, you know, a, progressing to be a very good 200-foot hockey player. From mm-hmm. the metric standpoint, I just don't understand how Rangers fans could think a guy with 40 points in one hundred over, uh, nearly almost 120 games is untouchable.
2: Yeah, I I don't see him being untouchable, especially for a player of Eichel's caliber. I feel like that should have been the starting point. Because even Buffalo is taking risk, taking on Kako based on his first yes. two seasons. Uh, you're not getting... Buffalo's saying the risk because they're not getting a player like Eichel back, and the firsts that New York will give back probably won't be very high picks. Yep. So they got to get someone like Kako back to make up ground, and I, you see what Seth Jones goes for. Uh, I think Columbus did really well there. Very well. I, I can't imagine why Buffalo shouldn't, should take less than that.
1: I, I agree. I get the injury plays into it, but he is skating. He is training on his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of positive things pointing in the direction of him being ready to play next season. Um, and you know what you're getting, uh, you know, not last season, but the season before that, when he was on that 18 game heater, like, you know, he was the best player in the world at that at that, in that moment in time. Like, there was mm-hmm. nobody better, not even McDavid, just the way mm-hmm. Jack was playing and putting this team on his back. And yeah. that's just the way it's been. And Frustration builds, man. We saw Ryan O'Reilly. Frustration builds when you're consistently losing, but you're out there and skating your balls off. And it's just you know, when the results aren't there, frustration starts to mount and build and you're seeing it right now in this off season guys are they want to leave you know money doesn't really isn't really a thing anymore it's about wanting to go somewhere and win i get it man you know being a former hockey player myself cully gets it too it's just like you mm-hmm. want to go somewhere and win it's not always just about dollars and cents it's about wanting to give yourself a chance to play in the playoffs yeah and uh i uh I like the you know I was always on the on, on board with a deal with Anaheim. I like what they have in their system and Drysdale and Zegers. You know of course you keep hearing that got both, both those guys are off the table, which again I don't understand because yeah. you would hope that a Zegers would be a Nyckel. He's not a Nyckel though. He's not. Yeah, he's you're not. Getting, you're not. And but I like those so the guy. I feel like the best fit in a Nyckel trade might be Minnesota.
2: Hmm. Uh. Yeah. I. I'm not sure what Eichel is after here because he's not going to go to a contender either. Um, mm-hmm. I think it'd be nice to play with Kaprizov in Minnesota, but in two years when they have seventy bajillion dollars in dead cap space from yep. buying out Suter and Breeze, I just don't know yep. what's going to happen there.
1: Do you see him on this ro- on this team next season?
2: Probably not, but I, think so. I mean the team is better with him on it, and I think. I It's never too late. Uh, I'm a Packers fan, and apparently Aaron Rodgers is coming back, but it's hard when Sam Reinhart gets traded and you look around the forward depth, and it's just very bleak.
1: Well, yeah, look at everything everybody that's been traded away over the last couple of years, going back to Evander Kane, Ryan O'Reilly. Um, now Sam Reinhardt, like, you know, you traded away all his buddies. (laughs) Like it's just him now. It's,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, I, and I never got on board with some of the, some of the criticism he got that he wasn't a leader, you know, well you go out there and skate, skate again, skate your balls off game at night and night out and constantly lose. And you're giving a maximum effort. And the the result is always the same. And tell me how you're going to feel.
2: Yeah. you know, same way Ryan
1: O'Reilly did. You went and put him on a team that was ready to win and knew how to build, knew how to draft, knew how to develop. And, wow, the very next season, Ryan O'Reilly is left in a Stanley Cup but winning the con Smythe, mm-hmm. and we're all here wanting to walk off a cliff in Buffalo.
2: Yeah, sadly. So, absolutely.
1: But, uh, Dom, I, I do appreciate you coming on with us, man. Um, hope we didn't talk you off too much. I do mm-hmm. appreciate it. Um, but, uh, you know, thanks for joining us again. And, um, you know, good luck uh, in the offseason. I know you got a lot of work ahead of you. Um, and, uh, enjoy some of the, uh, where, where are you, where are you, uh, h- stationed at? Like where, uh, where,
2: are uh, I'm in Toronto.
1: Oh, you are in Toronto. Okay. Yes. You have some, you have some pretty nice weather right now, I think. Right.
2: a little, a little too hot right
1: now. Uh, hot. Yeah. It's, yeah. I went golf, I went golfing this morning. It was 85 and I was ready to die.
2: Mm, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. I was like, I was golfing with a buddy though, who's from Louisiana, and like we're walking on the course, and he's wearing a hoodie. I'm like, "Are you out of your mind?" He goes, "Oh, this is cold for me, man. My heat index is like 120 in Louisiana."
2: Oh my god, that's I, I could never. Crazy. Yeah. I need my
1: yeah. You know, I need seasons. I need fall. I, mm-hmm. I like. I don't hate winter. You know, I I need seasons. I could yeah. never deal with that kind of heat. I'd be inside all day.
2: <laughs> yeah i i am inside all day
1: <laughs> you know I'm inside all day so mm-hmm. but thanks again dom appreciate it i'm glad we were finally able to get this done and uh you know hopefully we can have you again sometime in the future
2: yeah no problem thanks for having me
1: not a problem buddy uh this has been episode 70 of two goalies one
2: mike this is Dwayne for signing off we will talk to you again next week